We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Jack Ramsey Standing Ring. Brandon Sprague joined by Sean Hyken, and apparently my uh, my whole thing here just got completely jacked up because uh, welcome to technology. So I'm going to edit this one on the fly because that's how this all works. And uh, well, it's the end of the season, and uh, the best part about this, of course, is that Brandon Sprague is not showing on the screen right now. There we go. All right. Oh, wow. There we go. Wow. All right. Yes. My fat head was overlapping you. It was doubling it up. There we go. There's Brandon. <laughs> Hey. Yeah, good God. I don't know why I did that all of a sudden. It was working just fine before we went live. All right. So, again, Jack, Jack Trams is part of the Blue Wire Network. It's the first off-season show of the 2022-2023 season. The Blazers are officially eliminated from playoff contention. 27 wins, 55 losses. Their official third worst winning season in franchise history. Oof. How many games, Danny, were they away from the worst? Like, where, where are we at here? Uh, let me pull it up real quick. I think I think it was 21 was their worst. Because you can make an argument they should have tanked earlier, lost those four games they won. They could have gotten there. And not won any of the games after the All-Star break to at least tie 18. that. 18. Right? So 71-72, okay. they won 18. 72-73, they won 21. And then 05-06. Okay. Of course. So, like, when they were barely a franchise. Yeah. And then and yeah. then post-Jailblazers. 05-06, okay. they okay. won 21. Which again, a lot of those 0506 games, they were free tickets. Yes, they were. <laughs> and and what came out of that? Lamarcus, well, Greg, and Brandon. Yeah. So right. if you if you wanted something to point to, and if you again you can look at the same thing with the early Blazers teams leading to Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas, and everything else. So who says tanking doesn't do anything? Uh, Brandon Wal- uh, Wildermose says so, so. That Gonzano report yesterday, which we will get to, but first we have the exit interviews that happened uh, today. Uh, only a few uh, select uh, folks from the Trailblazers were made available, um, which irritated me a little bit, but they didn't go full Knicks with it. So I guess we'll let it slide, right? I think that's kind of how it goes. Sean, you were there in the room. Um, what was what was the general feeling, general vibe of being in the room? What? How did... How did it make you feel like, compared to uh, press conferences or exit interviews in the past? I have never seen a team that had the second half of the season go the way that this second half of the season went with everybody coming in 
talking as positively and optimistically about the future or the whole focus of it everybody just sort of hand waved away the yeah you know we lost we went like what do they go like two and 19 post all-star break mm-hmm. whatever like everybody just kind of said yeah this was a tough season with all the losses but we're really excited about we have all these you know J- joe kind of went through all the trade exceptions that they have you know all the different ways they are going to have all the draft picks and everybody was kind of on message if you will it was joe chauncey the only two players that talked were josh hart and anthony simons and i was i actually when they said that that was going to be the case they said that a couple of days ago Mm -hmm. and i actually asked someone in pr why it is that only a cup because in the past we've got you know you've had everybody 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 talk and it was it would even be like to the point where you know this year it would be like you know they would probably like bring out i don't know reggie perry or somebody one yeah, of those like, end like of every, bench guys. everybody who talked in the past like they'd bring one of those guys out and then like none of us actually have any questions for him but so some of us what somebody would like ask him a question just because you feel bad just bringing the kid out there and not having a question and so we all just kind of going through the motions i kind of appreciated that they really only kept it to these are guys that we know are going to be a part of the future going forward. Obviously Josh Hart is under contract for next year and, and he was the centerpiece of the CJ trade. So I think it would be pretty safe to assume that he's part of the plans going forward. And Anthony Simons is a restricted free agent, but both him and Joe Cronin were basically talking like they both expect that a deal is going to get done pretty quickly and that he's going to be, here long term the two guys and this is probably pretty obvious the two guys that i would have liked to see talk are dame just because we i know he like you know he went on draymond green's podcast about a month ago he did the interview with chris haynes a couple weeks ago if you want to say that those were basically his exit interviews and he everything he said in those interviews is probably everything he would have said here i can understand that but we as like the local media haven't talked to him since that press conference he did in January, right after he had the surgery. So I would have liked to hear from him directly. And then Nurkic, I think is the, obviously the other big one. And, you know, he's an unrestricted free agent. They didn't trade him at the deadline. They shut him down with a month to go in the season, which I am, I was surprised that clutch allowed that to happen in a contract year which made me kind of think that they probably have some sort of understanding that there's a number that they have in mind that the Blazers will be willing to do and I asked Joe about Nurk because a couple of different times he went he ran through the players that he thinks are going to be part of the core going forward and the names he said were Dane and Nas Justice Winslow Josh Hart Nurk uh that's i think that's it i but think he, it's those, those were like the, yeah those were the six guys that he named and a couple of different times and i actually you know called him on this i asked him like you know a couple of different times you've said hey uh nurk is part of the core and i know you aren't allowed to talk about specific free agent deals that are happening in the future because i don't you know you don't want to get fined whatever but would you say the expectation is that nurk is back and he said that he thinks nurk or you know they they plan to continue building around Nurk and so I would have liked to hear from Nurk about how he thinks this season went what his thoughts are about the future all of that 
But, I think we also so, want Nurk up there because we know Nurk would have slipped and said something. That's, <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but all, all of that to say, I was actually okay with them not bringing up every single player because most of them, like they kept it to the ones that anybody is like really interested in hearing from. Like, I, I'm like, I'm so, like Chris Dunn, really nice guy. I covered him in Chicago. Clearly not going to be on the team next year. Like there's no reason that they need to bring him in and have a, have him talk to us. I would have liked to hear from Dame and Nurk, but I was fine other than that with Josh and Ant being the only two guys that really were the two hurt. healthy under yeah. contract starters or likely rotation players. Exactly. Year. Yeah. Well, Sean, you mentioned you mentioned kind of the energy of the team, right? And you mentioned Dame's interview with Draymond, his interview with Chris Haynes. There's um I think you use the word excitement. There's an excitement about where they're going. And I think it's it's a little peculiar given the, the fact that they won two games in the second half of that season. Don't you think that's kind of like, don't you feel there's an element of the Neil is gone, this really ding dong, the witch is dead. Here we go. Now we get to refocus this thing kind of energy around this organization with, with the way they're acting around this stuff. Certainly. I think, I, I think that's, a pretty big subtext of a lot of that, maybe not so much with the two players that talked, but because I mean, I mean, Josh didn't overlap with Neil at all. And the end, you know, he's going to get his money. He's going to be fine. Right. But uh, <laughs> both with Joe and really more so with Chauncey. Chauncey, like the way that Chauncey was talking about how it's been to work with Joe and how Joe, and I actually asked him directly, you know, I try, I tried to kind of get, you know get at like he keeps talking about how joe is so collaborative and joe listens to other people's input and how and you know chauncey said that he credits joe with cleaning up the culture and so when he said that i kind of looked at my opening there as as to say hey uh so what are some of the differences between working with joe and working with uh the previous gm and he I mean, he really like he, he went out of his way to be diplomatic and basically say yeah you know neil was very successful here for a long time they he didn't the hit the bait hard and- no, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Like, and I, the other part that I thought was funny was he he said, you know, Neil believed in me. Neil really went to bat for me, which is one way of putting it, certainly. <laughs> and then yeah. and the other thing I liked was uh, he said that, uh, you know, Neil, the difference between the two of them is that Neil would just do what he's going to do and everybody else can just sort of deal with it later. Whereas Joe seeks people's input. Now there's the irony of the fact that the reason that Chauncey got the job is because Neil was just going to do whatever he wanted and didn't really care what anybody else thought about it or any objections or backlash or anything, but that's neither here nor there. I think that there was just, and whether you want to put this on Neil or you want to put this on ownership or wherever you want to put it, I think, and and I kind of remember going back to my last couple of years covering the Bulls, which was the last couple of years of the Derrick Rose, Joaquin Noah, Pau Gasol core, where like there was this sense early on in the season to me of this group, this Dame, CJ, Nurk, whoever the supporting pieces are, that group had just been together for a couple of years too long. And not that it was anybody's fault per se, but when a team like that stays together one year too long, it just starts to get stale. And it's like, everybody kind of feels like it's maxed out and it's it's never going to get better from where it is. It's probably only going to get worse. And there was just, I felt like the whole beginning of the season, especially with the cloud of the Neil investigation hanging over them, it felt like that where 
they thought that just keeping the roster the same and just putting in a different coach was going to solve everything like like it did with the Warriors when they fired Mark Jackson and brought in Steve Kerr. That's like the one time you can point to that and say that that strategy worked. But I guess all of this to say, it does feel between, you know, the front office changes that happened in December and the changes that happened at the trade deadline with the both the CJ trade and with the Norm Powell and Robert Covington trades, they're at least trying something different now. And it's not going to be just, well, we have this Dame CJ group. We've kind of seen what the ceiling is, but we're just going to run this back and hope that the results are different. Like it feels like there's a little bit of everybody feels like there's an opportunity to do something different, whether it's, and we can get into some of the different possibilities here, but, uh, whether it's they draft a player with that high lottery pick that they're going to get, or they trade it for somebody, or they, you know, assuming that the new Orleans pick conveys or they keep that pick, do they trade that pick for somebody? What do they do with the Eric Bledsoe contract? They could have traded at the deadline, but didn't. Uh, what do they do with some of these trade exceptions? Do they, you know, there's, there's all these different pieces up in the air, but whereas as, as maybe under the previous regime, there was always kind of this thought of, well, they're locked into Dame, CJ, and Nurk, and so then they're going to shuffle out like maybe a Mo Harkless here, and then a Derek Jones, and then a Robert Covington, and then a Larry Nance, and we're just going to keep cycling through whatever the next version of that, you know, one supporting guy is that maybe the previous general manager was just convinced is going to be the piece that unlocks this Dame, CJ, Nurk core and makes them a contender. I, it at least it feels now like and, and and it's it's very much on Joe to deliver on all of this now. But from where it stands right now, and as, especially assuming this New Orleans pick conveys, they at least have a lot of different options. They have a lot of different opportunities where they'll be able to do stuff. One of the really interesting things I think came out of this press conference that we haven't really talked about uh, yet in general, but um, obviously the the idea of moving the pick from the Pelicans, if it conveys, is something that has been widely discussed uh, as it pertains to Jeremy Grant and the Pistons. I would be shocked if they take a player with that pick. I, I would too, but... Like, I think that I think the idea since the deadline has been that out of that. pick and the Bledsoe money, that's going to be Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Or yeah. Miles Turner, or, you know, just pick role player, you know, high-end role player yeah. X that's, that, that is, like, roughly around that money. Like, yeah. that's... I've in my head, I've never, I haven't even started looking at like players in the draft that might be available at like from a nine on 11 range yeah. because I don't believe that they're going to draft somebody with that pick. The interesting part of this, though, as much as we've, we've kind of debated that a ton, is that Joe did not mince words when he said, we may just as well move our pick if the opportunity presents itself. And when he said that, that was a clear uh, sign to me of, Hey, if Team A, B, C shits the bed in the playoffs, and all of a sudden <laughs> there is somebody available, we will not hesitate to move this pick, even if it's a top four pick. That to me was a clear sign of like, listen, as much as the as much as this op- this opportunity to um, restock the cupboard, so to speak, is something that the Blazers need to do. If they can find themselves a 24, 25 year old kind of dude who's a, a stud who can come in and contribute right right away at the three or the four spot, they can make something happen. I think that I think that was an interesting thought of, hey, we are quite literally open to all possibilities. He said, we're going to sit down. I'm going to take the next three or four weeks and really study the film and assess the value of the guys at the top of the draft. 
And we, once we know after the lottery, which is 35 days from today, we will adjust and see what kind of happens. Because what happens in the next 35 days? The NBA playoffs. And there will be teams that fall off the – and so, Philadelphia could bite it. Miami could bite it. Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, Utah, I, Denver, I think, has a built-in excuse. Golden State, the, the Draymond stuff bubbling back up, if they fell on their face, would not surprise me in the least bit. Well, you know that that's what Dame's going to be go- wanting to go for if that, yeah. if that happens. That's his. That's who Dame is wanting. That's for his guy. Well, a but, long but, time now. I uh, I think that the, all, all of what you said, Dan, is is the same way that I read his comments. And I actually asked. I, I I don't have the quote in front of me. I went back through my tweets from the post trade deadline press conference, but I guess I didn't tweet this quote out, so I just don't have it in front of me. But I actually asked Joe at the time when it first became clear that the focus of the rest of the season was getting a high lottery pick, what I asked him at the time back in February, whatever was, were they playing for this lottery pick in order to draft a player or in order to use that as another thing to move, to get, you know, a higher end, you know, guy to put around Dane. And he said at the time that, you know, that they have, you know, have to be open to the possibilities. I think that's, the right way to play it i think especially this far out you don't even know what number pick you have you have to be open to you know different different kinds of of moves whether that be drafting a guy and i think the other thing is that in this draft and i I will readily admit i'm not a draft guy at all i watch zero college basketball i don't have like firsthand opinions about any of these prospects or which guy i think they should take or which guy I think would be the best fit because I just haven't watched any of these guys enough, but I was just covering the Nike hoop summit this past week in Portland. And I was asking different scouts and media members and who do cover, you know, pay more attention to the draft that I do. They live just, this stuff, right? The, the people whose opinions I do trust and take seriously about different draft stuff. I would ask them, you know, let's say Portland gets the number one pick who should they take and who would they take or who do you think would be the best fit around Dame and Nurk and, and Ann, assuming that's the core. And I didn't really get a consensus. Like some people said Chet, some people said Paolo, some people said Jabari. Those were the three. I mean, th- those were the, those were the three guys that people said Size like, there's a drop, yeah. that there's a drop, that there's a drop off after like the top three and then Jaden Ivy at four and then like another drop off. But those are the three guys, but there was no like, there's no like Anthony Davis in this draft where like, this is clearly the number one pick. Mm. There's no, you know, Zion Williamson. There's no who, whatever year you want to say, like Cade Cunningham, whoever, like where you go into the draft and even like a month out, we know who the number one pick is going to be. And so I think even because of that more than anything, it's not a situation where if you get the number one pick, you know, for a fact that this next guy that you take, whoever you take with the number one pick is going to be your franchise guy for the next 10 years. You could, end up getting the number one or two or three pick and you could end up with like a high-end role player who you know one thing i did hear is that all three of these guys uh seem like they are the types of rookies who would be ready to contribute right away at least to some degree there's nobody who you take them number one overall and they're going to be like a three or four year developmental project before they're even ready to play but i think that because there's no clear number one pick there's no like this is obviously the guy that you want to build around in the next phase you know after you know dame kind of ages out of his prime you because of that like you even more so you should be open to 
let's say just throwing a name out there, let's say that something happens to Boston and Jalen Brown is like, you know what, this isn't it. Like, let's, you know, you want to have that. You want to, you don't want the idea of this pick to be the reason you don't trade for somebody like that yes. or, you know, a Rudy Gobert or, you know, just whichever. Of Whatever these, all like, NBA well, player but, that is out there. But let me, let me ask both you guys, not to interrupt you, Sean, but let me ask. No, 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 you'll go. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. How many players... I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know what the answer would be. How many players, let's say you fall in the three, four range. How many players legitimately, if S goes wrong for said team are worth trading that pick, knowing that that player may or may not hit, but if he hits, you're still looking at a future that may not involve Dame. If he so chooses to go elsewhere, like how many players would you say are worth getting out of that range in the draft? What I would say to that is that whatever decision they make around whether to keep that pick or trade that pick for somebody else, they're not going to end. Joe kind of made the joke today about how Dame is like helping shape the roster and how he knows all this stuff about trade exceptions. Of course, with Twitter being Twitter, people kind of took that quote seriously and ran with it and took it way more literally than it was intended to be. But whatever decision that they make, with that pick whether to take somebody and develop them or trade it for a more established guy they're gonna do that with dame's blessing and with dame's involvement so and joe did say today that they want to win and they uh, they recognize that 
it's easier to do that with veteran players than with you know a 20 year old who is going to have to get used to the you know the the nba level of competition and kind of the jump up in degree of difficulty from the college level so i i guess all of that is to say that whatever decision they do make dame is going to be on board with i don't see a scenario where dame is really just like saying oh no you have to tr- you know you got to trade for this guy that you, you, you we have this to offer on the table for you know whoever like let's say rudy gobert i'm just i'm just throwing a name out there as like a potentially available guy who's like that level of talent like if dame were to say oh no you have to you know we i really want you to trade for rudy gobert i don't think that joe cronin is then going to turn around and say oh no you know i'm so in love with jabari smith that i'm not going to do that like i think that whatever decision they make everybody's going to be on board with it so i wouldn't really approach this from the standpoint of if they make the wrong move, then Dame is going to ask out in a year, which I, I, I think that at this point, you kind of have to put the, assuming that this offseason isn't a complete disaster for them, assuming they, at I least on paper, go into the season with a roster that you can say they made upgrades, they brought some guys in, whatever. I don't think the idea of Dame asking out, especially once, you know, now that he kind of won the power struggle with Neil and he's about to get this extension... I don't think that's really something that people should have as a consideration right now. Dan, you can add whatever you want to add on to that, but that's just kind of where I'm at with. What yeah. I, I, I think I, I'm probably right in the same boat, to be honest with, with how things are going. And I just, when you look at where, where they're at right now, I think there's more in flux, but there's more opportunity that exists within the organization right now than it has existed since probably 2007. I think that's probably the last time that they've had this much flexibility. Um, I, I joked, obviously, with, with, with one of Brandon's coworkers with uh, Dusty Harrod today on 1080. Like, this is like 2016 and 2017 combined, where in 2016 they had a truckload of cap space, and in 2017 they were had a lot of a lot of assets. This is the first time they have both, which means they could screw it all up in one year. <laughs> well, I don't think they're going to be giving Evan Turner $72 million. Or Alan Crabb. Right. <laughs> By the way, Andrew Nicholson is still on the books. Through One the more year, baby. One more year. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Beyond, beyond next year. Yeah. Beyond next year. Yeah. yeah. Through It's through 23-24. I looked it up the other yeah. day. It's it's the money that just will not go away. It's. It... But, but I think the tough thing for me, guys, is just like, I think we're all operating under the assumption that Joe's interim tag is being removed, and yet yes. here it is not being removed. Let, let, let's, let's hit on that real quick. So is he even the one really evaluating the proper you know, channels to be navigating their summer? That, I just wonder about that. Sean and I were talking before you hopped in uh, on Zoom, and we were like, you know, kind of where, where does this sit right now? Because the, yeah. the tone of Joe during the press conference, and from what I have heard, behind the scenes for the last two months is that it's basically his job. And I've heard that if somebody else does come in, they will be over the top of him. But like the GM job, the player personnel job is his. That is, that is what has been basically relayed to me. Um, If they brought in like a Mark Eversley to be a president of basketball operations over the top of him and be the lead recruiter, be the face of everything. Here's the thing. I don't know about you guys, but I felt like, especially when some of the comments on the uh, the Damian Lillard uh, uh, understanding trade exceptions better than anybody else in the room joke that Joe made, a lot of people overreacted and kind of treated it like a Neil Olshay moment uh, when it was the complete opposite. 
you're acting like Neil Olshay would ever say that somebody knows more about something than him. Granted, entirely true. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I felt like because of the tank, because of the strip down, there's still some people that are very um, a little, little, little bit, a little bit of a porcupine about it, a little prickly, just kind of like ah, like. They're, we're so trained over the last 10 years to be so against everything. I think it's anytime it's remotely off the cuff is said in a press conference, because it's been so toxic for so long that people are looking for that. I thought one of the things that it came out of this, this, this exit interview, particularly from Joe and even really from Chauncey was the amount of just relief and like comfort and, and like not only the season being over because clearly that was a stressor, but looking forward like there was genuine hope and that i have not had genuine hope for this franchise or felt it emanate from anyone in the franchise in literal years and i think when you're talking about where that comes from and the way chauncey talked about it i think joe is a massive part of that and i think that's something that the organization at the top has realized and i think at this point in time you can basically, you know, cut the tag off the mattress. It's I, I think the GM player personnel stuff is Joe Cronin's, barring a massive, massive change. Well, I, I think a big part of that for me is it's the cohesive nature of where they're at versus like before mm-hmm. it was Neil and everybody else. And right, like they weren't going to change what he wanted them to do. You know, Dame probably wanted wholesale big changes years ago. And yet Neil was unwilling to do that. So I think what you've seen is a cohesive work environment between Chauncey, Joe, Dame, like player up to front office, which is not something I, I think we're accustomed to seeing in the past. And also just bare minimum, this, this offseason doesn't go exactly how people want it to. You're no worse off than where you were before those trades. They lost in the first round four or five years. Mm-hmm. You're telling me with a healthy Damian Lillard, Anthony uh, Simons with another season and Nurkic healthy along with some of those other moving parts. You're telling me that team can't get to the first round and lose again. So like, yeah, it's not ideal to be not improved, but I think what you're seeing is a mixture of actual culture of guys working together and listening to one another, knowing that they can still bare minimum reach where they were prior to all of this thing going down. That's what I was saying earlier about how this season, whatever the ceiling is, at least it's something different. Like we know exactly how the Dame CJ Nurk thing would go in the playoffs because we've seen how it's gone for out of the last five years. But with this, maybe they top out at being a first or second round exit again, but maybe, I don't know, maybe the Lakers decide to trade Anthony Davis. And for whatever reason, the Blazers are the team with the package that they like. them. I don't know. Like, yeah. like, like it's, there's, there are possibilities out there. Now, now to your point about uh, the cohesion, the previous two press conferences that they've done, the one in December, right after Neil Olshay got fired. And then the one right after the trade deadline and mm-hmm. both of those, there were three people up on stage, which were Joe Chauncey and Dwayne Hankins, the president of uh, business operations, who succeeded uh, Chris McGowan in that role in November. And I'm surprised that Dwayne actually wasn't yeah. a part of the exit interviews today, because the whole point to me of doing that was we want to send this uh, message that the business side and the basketball side are on the same page, whereas under the previous regime you had the business side who their offices were all at the Rose garden, you know, kind of in the, in that 
area like that's mm-hmm. where their offices were like the corporate side and then you had the basketball ops side whose uh, offices are at the facility in Tualatin and there was basically no overlap and no interaction with anybody between the two sides and so they had kind of put up this united front and you know you hear cha- you know Chauncey talk about how Joe doesn't you know and he, Chauncey kind of compared it I thought this was kind of interesting and I've actually really enjoyed one of the things I've really enjoyed over this season covering it is that as little as there was to enjoy in terms of the on-court stuff. One of the things I've enjoyed has been getting to know Chauncey and kind of asking him different basketball philosophy questions and coaching philosophy and that, that sort of thing. And something Chauncey said today about that that I thought was interesting is that he tells his staff, you guys don't work for me, you work with me. And he said that he thinks that Joe has kind of the same approach where instead of, you know, under the previous general manager, it was his show and everybody else either goes along with it or doesn't, but he's the one that makes a final call. Whereas as Joe, I think the sense is, you know, he solicits information or, you know, solicits ideas and solicits feedback from people and doesn't think that he's automatically the smartest guy in the room and is open to suggestions and is open to things that other people would do differently that, uh, you know, that he would take into consideration. I think overall, it just, it just seems like the organization is in a much healthier place than it was the last time that I was on with you guys, which was after media day, when Neil was talking about how this was the deepest team of the, of the, of the Damian Lillard era. Now, of course, hanging over all of this and, you know, we can get into this as much or as little as you guys want, but, uh, the story that Canzano came out with yesterday. Literally, this is where um, I was going next. So, well, I'll say that's about, why that's why Dwayne yeah. wasn't there today. That's why Dwayne wasn't did, there. Did not answer those questions. Because yeah. right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> did not did not answer those. Exactly, because he would have. I mean, the, the the sales stuff. I don't. Nobody even asked Joe about the sales stuff because that's way above his pay grade yeah. to determine. But I thought I, I. Now that you think about it, I. I it, was interesting that Dwayne was after they had spent this whole last six months talking about you know we really want to show ever how united simpatico but you're not but we're not, not going to put Dwayne Hankins out there today because they knew that after that Kenzano story everybody was going to be asking about the sale and all the different stuff so I I have a few thoughts about that whole situation but I'm interested in what you guys think also uh we haven't really touched on it much so Brand, you you want to take this one first just the general story of they're kind of exploring the sale of the franchise. Sure. Yeah. I, I Wherever mean, I, you want to go with it. I, I think talking to guys like you, when we do pods, when we're not doing pods, talking to a couple other media friends, like I just, I, I really wasn't surprised by it. Now the timing may have been the thing that jumped out the most that they're already exploring it. Uh, but Sean, I saw you had a back and forth on Twitter about, you know, just baking in the sale and the future earnings when you sell that franchise with the expansion fees that come in. Because look, we it's no secret anymore. The NBA is going to expand to Seattle and probably Vegas. We know that's happening. They're building a 20,000-seat uh, arena down in Vegas for, for their own thing. But uh, it was more just so I think the timing. Nothing really surprised me from it. If anything, I, I just look at it more so from the aspect of where are we looking for the buyers? And I know, Danny, you've thrown out the same name over and over and over again, and it may very well be that person. But I think that's the most interesting part of this whole saga because my two cents is just like from the fan Portland native standpoint, like she could not be gone faster for me. I think she's an awful owner. I don't think she cares about basketball one iota. She only cares about football. So I just and think even it's then, does she even care about no, 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 no. People in Seattle will tell you 
that's that's the one thing that she actually does care about now how involved she is i don't know but i know that she actually legitimately is a fan of the seahawks whereas i think the blazers is you've been roped in with your brother so it's an inverse relationship from from paul yes yes because i've asked about their management structure up there and people swear by it like that she's She's not the greatest owner in the world, but like she's fine. She's not meddling. She cares. She's passionate. She'll do what people are telling her. Whereas like here, she has no interest whatsoever. So I just want that to be expedited. I want her to sell the team as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because I want an owner that cares about this team again. Yeah, the interesting thing here that, that came out of Kazano's article was, and and Sean and I have talked about this stuff really going on probably two years now. Yeah. Um, as far as like what was for like let's let's put, peel the curtain back real quick. The when before Paul Allen passed, the the way it was explained to me was he was looking to sell, but his disease unfortunately accelerated and they just squashed that plan. And so the franchise has been been in this position basically for four years and it's trying to unwind the will, figure out the trust, you know, what happens, who goes where, how does it all work. And when you're talking about literal billions of dollars and all the, the assets that go along with it. That's not something that just happens overnight. That's something that literally takes a year or two to get through. And then, like, what do you do? Well, then you have COVID. And you're not going to try and sell a franchise in the middle of COVID. I don't think that's... Uh, it's been done. Yeah, <laughs> I just it's been done. The, ja- the Jazz and the Timberwolves both Timberwolves, sold during yeah. the pandemic. And I think both those franchises probably got sold on discounts as well, too. And that's the that's the flip side is that I think that they want to maximize the, the, the value of this. If indeed the, the sale of the franchise happens in this calendar year, I would be shocked. And so that's why when Gonzano said six months, I was like, I'm sorry, six months? Because everything that I've ever heard about the sale of this team as it pertains to Jody Allen was that it would, again, tie into those expansion fees and be something with with the TV rights deal. Now, I've also heard that the TV rights deal is, is closer than it was in the past. But it's still a ways off as far as like getting announcement and like getting the windfall from those proceeds. But the flip side of this, and Sean, we can kind of talk about this a little bit, is there is no shortage of people who want to be owners right now. You've got Hanson. You've got Ellison. You've got Fenway and perhaps even LeBron James. If you look at right now what's going on in England with Chelsea, there's no shortage of American billionaires wanting to buy into Chelsea. If when a professional franchise from the big three in the U.S. or one of the international level clubs comes up, i.e. Chelsea, when you're talking about in soccer, is the the idea of like, well, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? It's like there's never going to be a shortage of those guys right now in, in this world and in, in the world that we live in. That is not going to be the case for the Blazers. You just want the one with the deepest pockets and the one with the least amount of skeletons in their closet. That's really all you're hoping for. The way that this is all going to play out legally, I think, is what's going to be interesting. Because the way it's been told to me, and Kenzano made the point in his column yesterday that the Broncos are kind of in a similar setup, and the Broncos are also looking to sell right now. But uh, the Blazers and the Seahawks technically are not owned by Jody Allen. She is the trustee of the the Paul Allen Trust. and. I haven't been able to nail down all the details of, of it. I, I, I've heard a few different things, but something that I have heard is that there may or may not be a clause in the trust that says that if 
a team if, if the Blazers and the Seahawks lose money a certain number of years in a row that they have to be sold like I think there might be some sort of sale clause like mm. either if they lose money over a certain amount of time or just period over a certain amount of after a certain amount of time after Paul Allen passes away the team has to be sold like there may be some sort of clause like that in the trust now which would prohibit say- them holding on to the team until the right. the full, right 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 right, right. Um, so expansion but but also when you think about it, like I know it feels like 2022 just started. And so you think you hear that six to 18 month timeline and you think that seems insane with you know, the, the end idea of, the of it being in the calendar year. We're in April now, six months from now is October. Yeah, like, yeah. and that's the, that's the short end of that timeline. So even if it's eight months instead of 18 months, then you're into December, January mm-hmm. in there. Uh, I have heard that expansion more so I think I think Vegas is further along than Seattle is as yes. far as like the plans but the expansion thing might get the the I I think there's some motivation from some owners to get that done because that's you know what 2 2 billion per team let's say conservatively it might even be more than that mm-hmm. given that given that Seattle and Vegas are two pretty major markets like yes. let's say conservatively two billion per expansion team as a, as an expansion fee that the new owner would then have to pay into the league. That's $4 billion that the other 30 owners split among themselves 30 ways that they don't have to split with the player that doesn't go into BRI. And the owners of the teams in those regional markets get a larger share, which Jody Allen would factor into both because they have all of Washington's rights, right? As well as Las Vegas, who shares rights with Lakers, Clippers, Suns, Jazz, Warriors Kings, I believe. I think all those teams have some share of Las Vegas. So and that's a I, and big I've pool people, of money. And I've had people ask me whether the Blazers would stand in the way of there being a team in Seattle because they have that market share. And I have to remind people that Paul <laughs> Allen was one of the two owners that voted against the Sonics moving to Oklahoma City. Yep. He... It's an inherent rivalry that, that builds upon your it, product. It's better for business. Yes. It's better yeah. for business to have them there. Let me tell you also, as a media member who lives here but kind of covers the NBA nationally, having a second team in driving distance for me would not be the worst thing in the world. You mean the cl- not oh. having the closest team be Sacramento? Yeah. But but also, let me tell you, as, as a guy who has a ton of family in the Tacoma, Seattle-like area, they hate Portland. They don't watch those no. Blazer games. That's not desirable for them on TV. So that market share is really – is it bigger? Yes. It's not like it's that great of a business windfall for them anyway. Right. And it's not like a lot of like, it's not, I mean, I'm sure there are some, but it's not sure. like everybody when the so- like when the Sonics left in 2008, I, I don't think everybody in Seattle was suddenly like, oh, well, I'm going to just become a Blazers fan. Like that, that wasn't <laughs> no. how it worked. No, they became no. larger Seahawks fans. Right. Larger Seahawks fans, or they just like became general NBA fans who just rooted against the Thunder or, or what? Zombie what Sonics. Like, Zombie yeah. Sonics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so that's going to be, that's going to be really interesting to see how all the, and as far as like who ends up buying the blaze, like I would imagine that Chris Hansen, who was going to buy the Kings and move them to Seattle in 2013 is probably still the guy yes. in Seattle to get the Seattle team. And unless I, one of the, the mega billionaires like Bezos, who has been rumored to want an NFL team becomes an NBA. He's buyer. waiting on Washington though. He's yes. waiting on DC. Yeah. I think, I think Snyder's. Yeah. Well, I mean, he already owns quick. like the, I mean, I mean, Bezos owns the Washington Post. He like, has yeah. some kind of he has yeah. other business interests yeah. in Washington. But mm. 
By the way, did you guys see that the Nationals are going to be up for sale? Oh, I missed that. No, no that just that. came out today that the that it was a Washington Post story that the Nationals are ownership group might be looking so to sell all I of the DC properties, save the, the Wizards. And, yeah, they're just going to be Bezos on. Okay. I was I was joking with a couple of our other NBA media friends the other day about how Adam Silver's dream owner is probably Elon Musk because of how much he loves to act like he's you know in charge like on the forefront of all this tech stuff and so yeah. clearly shit posting like at all times right yeah. exactly like they bring back the uh the you know remember, you guys remember from the 90s like the blimp that would like fly around the rose garden like dropping tickets oh yeah yeah so yep. it's a it's like it's a tesla blimp but it like so it has like this electrical fire like accidentally and it burns down the arena and that's like <laughs> it helps like kickstart whatever the the negotiations are for like trying to build a new arena i guess oh, that would be good <laughs> um, one thing that always comes up when you talk about sale is, uh, are they going to move the team? And let me just say no. this because I've seen it in the comments. No, they are not, they are not here. Let me go ahead and put, put God, the single. We are so up. insecure. We're so They're insecure. Not in this I move get the it. Team. I get it because Portland is so close to Seattle and this just happened 12 years ago or whatever, mm -hmm. or like 14, 15, however yeah. many years ago it was with Oklahoma city. But I also think that the league has seen, they've learned have has seen i mean as much as yes oklahoma city was a successful market for them when they had kevin durant and russell westbrook and were in the conference yeah. finals every year i think they realized that long term going from seattle to oklahoma city was probably not the move for them and so with portland i know portland is not as big of a city as seattle or as prominent of a city as seattle but portland is the basically the model of eighth highest in TV, in TV uh, ratings this year. Right. Even small considering everything success. that happened. Well, right. But like the, the, in terms of if the NBA wants to point to a franchise that's a small market success, like proving that yeah. like franchises can be successful in markets that aren't LA or New York or Miami or, you know, any of the, of the, of the big markets like Portland, you know, they have, you know, a history. They, they sell, they, you know, this year they didn't sell out, but they usually sell out every mm -hmm. year when you don't have all this COVID stuff that's, complicating that you know they it's a place that it's not like a place that free agents are lining up to go to but there are guys that do like living here it's not the worst city in the in the league like i don't think that you have so many other relocation cities that would be so much more viable than well, using the other Portland. Yeah. well right but the other part of it also is that is that nike being here and the nba the nba has the apparel deal with nike and also so and many of the biggest stars are nike guys like yeah that the, uh, it it's in the league's interest to keep an NBA team in Portland. And I don't, I don't, I don't believe, I know that like there's some stuff up in the air with the lease with the city and the Rose garden and whatever. I believe that all that is going to get done. And that that's not like the idea of them moving. I don't think is really a serious. The business side of thing, either one of you guys on this one, I, I constantly get, and I saw some questions or some comments here in the chat earlier. Um, like what the basketball team does versus what, the sale means I have never thought that you know gutting the roster the way they did to tank and gather assets had anything to do with selling the team because the value of this franchise has nothing to do with the players it has to do with the team itself as a whole it has to do with the property has to do with the venue it has to do with the market they this this team could be the Sacramento Kings that still sell for two and a half billion dollars I would push back just in yeah, one I, area. Mm, on okay. it's, the, it's the one thing I disagree with you too, okay. slightly. But I'll, no, go, go, go ahead. No, Sean, go ahead first. Maybe, we'll see, maybe me and Sean agree on the same thing. 
just in the one case, I think that having Damian Lillard on the team and having a guy that you know is, you know, one of the probably 10 most famous guys in the league, a guy who's going to sell tickets, a guy that has been here his whole career and has the, like, I think that if you're somebody, and I know that like, there's been all this talk of, oh, if he signs the extension, he's going to be making $50 million in age 36, whatever. I think that having a guy like that, that you know that is going to sell tickets here locally, is would actually move the needle on maybe the price or the appealing, you know, how appealing it is to buy the team versus having a completely blank slate. I understand kind of in a vacuum that, you know, the what somebody the may want to come in and, and right. The encore yeah. product doesn't totally, you know, translate to the value of the team. But I think if you want to talk about, you know, you're going to buy a team and you want this team to sell tickets and you want them to get good TV rating, it's more likely that that's going to happen. And people are going to stay excited about the team locally with Dane than not with Dane. That's the one area that I would push back on what you had to say. there. I, I got nothing to offer. It's the exact same thing. I, I, I mean, also too, Danny, like we are talking a difference of a few hundred million dollars, which is a big deal. But like, to me, you, you just, you're more, you're more lined up, I think, financially to make just a little bit more if you have Dame hanging out in Portland and they're still contending or making the playoffs or driving people to go to those games or watch those games every night. I don't, I don't like I said, say I don't necessarily disagree. I just don't think it, like I said, grand scheme, it makes that much of a difference. So I've seen a lot of people say that you look at the, 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 what the organization has done. And I don't think any of that stuff is pertained to what is happening on the business side of the Blazers as far as the team being sold. And here's the thing everybody has to remember. These franchises, when they are sold, it just happens. Like, everybody talks about, like, oh, you know, this this group is interested in buying this. Kevin Garnett has tried to buy this, tried to do this. It just, all of a sudden, poof, it's done. Like, the, the transition for the Timberwolves is, I believe, supposed to take place January of next year. I think it's when it's all all supposed to be tied off and everything's done. But as far as that sale happening, they came in and it was just, it was done. The Utah one too. That was like overnight. Yes, Ryan came in and Ryan. literally just was poof gone, and it was like, yep. "Wait, the Jazz sold? Are, are you kidding me?" Like, again, the Blazers thing is going to be more complicated because of the trust, and it's sure. not just like somebody owns the team and they can just like decide to sell, and then if the board of governors approves, then it's done. Like, there's a lot more legal stuff to, which is why when when John wrote the column about Canzano yesterday, the column about. Uh, how they're going to start, you know, exploring the auction in the next six to 18 months. That just means that there's so much of that stuff that has to get figured out yeah. from a legal standpoint. And when it's that much money and that level of assets and portfolio of somebody like Paul Allen, he Do you think they have a reserve on their auction? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You want to count, count, count up the super chats from this YouTube stream, see if you can put something on it, see if you can... The Jack Ramsey's become... piggy bank's doing okay. Oh, man. Jack Ramsey's arena. <laughs> Listen, I'll... I, hey, I, I, that's I, a pretty dope arena name. That actually Listen, is a good name. I was going to yeah. say, we got to put that on one out Jack there. Jack Ramsey Rams. way? Yeah, I mean, we got to put that out there I don't think that pissed people off the way it would an insurance company. Yeah, so... um. Back to the basketball side of things, because that's kind of what this, what's what's kind of coming up next as far as well, I guess team building side of this. Was uh-huh. there anything that came out of this this the exit interviews from 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 Hart or from Ant or from Chauncey or or Joe any of these guys for for either of you that where you were like, huh, that's interesting, or um, that you could kind of just kind of t- were just like, oh, okay. Josh Hart saying 
saying they, they I've talked to them about my role next year and they want me to be like more of a guard. I was like, that's a lot of shit. Like that, that was in a, in like a thir- you know, 13 second soundbite. He just basically told you I was shopped, but now they told me my ass is going to be back here. Also, I'm basically going to be your backup point guard. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's that, that that's a lot in there, but let, let, let's kind of peel that back. Was there anything else that you guys got from out of that where you're just like, Oh, Oh, that's, that that's interesting. Well, Josh saying he's going to be the backup point guard, I think makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. this is something that going back to before the trade and even before the front office changes, there was, I, I, I remember one of the, one of the few memorable like pregame press conferences this season was before that game against Toronto that they won in overtime, like before the season went totally mm-hmm. sideways where Chauncey said that they give up size every night with yeah. their backcourt. And w- w- this is when they were starting Dame CJ and Norm. Norm. And so I, I know, you know, Josh Hart is a better defender than, you know, uh, any of those guys are. And so, uh, you know, you can say from that standpoint, it makes sense, but there is still the size issue. And so I would lean more towards the starting lineup, you know, the, you know, besides Dame and Ant being the two locks and then Nurk at center, I would think that it would probably make more sense if size is kind of a concern there and is something that they want to kind of address that has been an issue that it would make more sense to have Nasir start at the three. And then let's say what, you know, reading the tea leaves here, let's say Jeremy Grant, just, just to throw a name out there, hypothetically, Jeremy Grant at the four. I think that's going to make a lot more sense just from a, standpoint of not giving up size and then you you know you can have josh hart in different lineups you can have him play smaller lineups with damon ant where he plays three you can have him run the offense as kind of the backup point like there is different stuff you can do there the the thing that i thought was interesting there's two there's two things i thought was were interesting besides that as far as like from an encore perspective one was that they joe you know joe a couple of different times when he was uh talking about the guys that he sees as part of the core going forward a name that he's mentioned a couple of different times that nobody i don't think any of us have even talked about at all is justice winslow who Mm -hmm. i do think that he showed some stuff especially on the defensive end like his second game with the blazers after that trade he was like picking up lebron james like that's who he was guarding like that's a guy as, as far as like depth you know a depth piece like his his issue has never in his career he's bounced around a few different places it's never been talent with him it's, it's just kind been, of a budget jay crowder situation well right but he also just hasn't been able to stay healthy yeah. for most yeah. of his career and so as far as you know depth pieces and maybe like an eighth or ninth guy who's going to be in the rotation but mm-hmm. isn't going to be a starter you could do a whole lot worse than him and i think he's under contract for like five mil for next year so it's i think it's four Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's a very reasonable contract. It's a good deal, yeah. yeah. I mean, Joe got crushed for that trade when it happened, but... Mm-hmm. Not such a bad trade. You get the cap space, you get Winslow, you get Keon Johnson, who started to show some flashes there at the end. Basically, he's... Uh, I'm not really factoring Keon year. Johnson into it. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking like about... He might, like, he might pop. Maybe he pops, yeah. but, like, Easy, I'm not, Sean. I'm not factoring in. I'm not, Danny's like, going to get pissed here. I'm Be not, careful. I, young I, guys, young players. Listen, you got to be careful saying, with Dan. It is a viable asset. For sure, Portland. yeah. Like he's he's a young, athletic guy who started to show a little bit as the season went on, and like he's not nothing if you're talking about having sure. an asset in the cupboard. 
I, I think the to add to the justice part of that, Sean, like I think the only reason that didn't uh, grab my attention maybe as much was, and I, I forgive me for not knowing Tom, it was either Ben, Mark Medina, or a quick piece. I can't remember which one it was, but he had, he kind of like oozed over justice a few months ago when a piece came out with him. And he basically said, we are after Justice Winslow's. They don't grow on trees. It's mm-hmm. hard for us to obtain them. And so when I read that, I think it was like two or three graphs that he dropped Justice's name. I kind of just viewed it as, yes, injury risk, not been able to stay healthy, but largely a guy that Joe just views that if he's healthy, give us the 6'8 guy all day. And so when he said that today, I, I, I don't know, it didn't pop for me because I'd already kind of put that in the back of my mind of Justice was a part, not the most important, not the huge part of the nucleus, but a role guy that he clearly wants here with whatever it is he's building. I, I, I do want to say the one thing that stuck out for me, and we kind of already highlighted it, but I just want to emphasize it again. The idea that this guy openly talked about maybe trading their pick. I, I don't think that that's going to get as enough attention as it deserves because the city in this franchise has long held on to the belief of draft picks and value. Mm-hmm. That's the minute you talk about selling off a draft pick within the top five, which is what potentially they're looking at. I mean, you're going to get freak out. You're going to get large amounts of people panicking that you're going to bypass a franchise piece. And I just, as much as, as we get in the chats and on the Jack Ramsey's community, people that say, oh yeah, I'm super open-minded to this. Man, people weren't open-minded to the tank. They tanked no. for two weeks and they were like, oh, this is awful. How much longer is this going to go on? And we're like, well, for another month because they've solely <laughs> gone in on the tank. So I just think it's a hard market and a hard fan base to really sell on the idea that, hey, guys, we're going to trade X pick for X veteran player. It sounds good in theory to some. I think it's a harder sell to a lot of others, especially if it's a player that has two years left on a deal and you get the proverbial freak out of, well, well, the guy's not going to want to stay here long term. Guys, if it means one or two great years and maybe a championship, you sign me the hell up. So I just love the openness of a general manager in this city on this team actively telling you if something opens up we're not hesitating with that pick we are selling that thing off the best possible options being on the table and i think that's yes. a, as opposed to having your blinders on and being dedicated to the dame cj backcourt the holy trinity and not being able to adjust or make a move i think that's a pretty big deal and as far as where the blazers have been in the past where they are now and what they have going forward if it amounts to more than just lip service that is a tremendous, tremendous change. Yeah. I also think that Blazers fans are used to the past 10 years of constantly being told by the general manager that nobody wants to come to Portland, that they kind of... And now Joe is doing the complete different... Basically, of, you, basically using yeah. that as an excuse to not have to try at his yeah. job, and they've kind of internalized that. Yeah, no, <laughs> and that's... so now when you have a GM who's coming out and saying... You know, we're going to go pitch. after guys. Yeah. We're going to try to go after guys. We're going to sell guys on it. Like not, not having that defeatist at, not having that attitude of, Oh, well, you know, we're not LA or Miami. So we're not even going to bother trying to go after the big guns. Like I, I keep going back to this that, and I know he ended up getting traded to the Clippers when they were, when the Thunder decided to rebuild, but Paul George got traded to Oklahoma city and he yeah. decided to resign there when he was a free agent. He could have yeah. easily gone to the Lakers or you know, gone wherever, but, you know, he got to Oklahoma City. It wasn't a place that he wanted to go. And 
when he got there, he was like, you know what? I like it here. They treat mm-hmm. me well. They, you know, this is a good team. I like the guys. Like, I'm let's do this. Like, you have to put yourself in the position to, you know, and even like, even if somebody, you know, you trade for like a huge, you know, guy like that, you know, the other example obviously would be the, you know, what Toronto did, you know, trade for Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. knowing that he was probably going to leave after a year. You still sure. won a title that one year that he was there. They yeah. would do that over again, even though he left for nothing. They take it every single time. And I think right. every you have to, did. you have to be willing to take the swings, even yes. if, you know, even, even if you, you can't, you can't just say, well, you know, we're never going to, we're never going to try for anything because we don't know if the guy's going to want to stay there long-term or Portland isn't a free, like maybe previous front office executives felt that way, but you know, that's not really the way to run your organization long-term. Well, and I also think PG is a great example, Sean. I'm glad you brought him up. Like had they not been blown up by Damian Lillard at the buzzer, had they actually won or advanced and looked like a team that, Hey, we run this back. Maybe we're the pick. You know, I know he's an L.A. guy, but there's no given that he's going to just bolt and go to L.A. No. Like, this is legacy stuff with these dudes. It matters if you win and if you can create the right environment. I mean, look, I, we're all That also enough. wasn't him forcing his way out. Like, I think when right. he went to Sam and said, hey, I want to go to L.A. And, and and Sam was like, hey, wait, I could get how many draft picks for this? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, like, I think that was one where, like, both sides were cool with it. Like, that wasn't him saying, oh, well, I, I hate Oklahoma City. I want to be in a – like, he felt like the indie thing had kind of run its course. But then he – and I, I actually – I wrote something about this a couple weeks ago at BR about uh, how sometimes when these guys kind of force themselves, you know, from team to team, they end up kind of in the position that Russell Westbrook is in right now where he – everybody's kind of can't as soon as that any team gets him they kind of can't wait to get rid of him because he doesn't have that decade of built-in equity with a fan base which is another reason i keep telling people i don't think dame is going to go anywhere because i think dame is smart enough to know that what he has in portland as far as you know the decade of goodwill that he's built up here he's never going to have that anywhere else even if he goes somewhere else and they win a title he'll be the guy that he wasn't he isn't their guy he's not like if he goes and joins some other stars team like you saw what happened with the Warriors when Kevin Durant went there. They won two titles, but they never loved him there the way that they loved Steph and Clay and Draymond and the guys that were there. They don't love one. you like that. Exactly. <laughs> well, and as also... much as he wants to act like that wasn't a consideration for him leaving, it absolutely yeah. was. Well, and because... that's also, thank you for naming that organization. We're old enough to have grown up and saw that team was completely, ir- nobody wanted to go to Golden State. That was an afterthought in the NBA. You build something special. I think you could track people. That's not to say you'll be Golden State, but if you can take a risk and you can win, man, it's suddenly it's not such a bad place to be. Phoenix too, like that was yes. that that organization has been a you know not really relevant. Basically, basically just from like the basically as soon as like they hired Monty, and I mean this is even before they brought in Chris Paul, but like they hired Monty. That was like the first start of like okay, we're a real organization now. Mm-hmm. And then you know one you know in a six months whenever this investigation is over and bob Iger ends up buying the team then we're gonna you know you you laugh i'm not joking no i I, no no that's the move yeah yeah but like like now now suddenly like phoenix has a real owner that isn't robert sarver they're gonna be you know now phoenix might oh you mean like a destination city because phoenix is a kick-ass place to live you know what look at look at chicago like Nobody has like the Bulls have never like post Jordan. The Bulls have not gotten big like every no. year they've been going after like they went after like they were the Knicks of the Midwest in two thousand. They went after like LeBron, Bosch, Wade, all those guys in two 
2010. They went after Carmelo Anthony in 2014. You know, they go after, they go after these guys. They don't get them. As soon as they go, you know, get rid of, you know, their previous management and coach and bring in a real coach and a real front office, suddenly you've got, you know, Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan saying, hey, I want to go there. Well, and just as quickly as you think it's not going anywhere, like three years before Chris Paul gets to Phoenix and they go to the finals, the owner puts a goat in Ryan McDonough's office to shit all (laughs) over the floor. Like it can quickly go from goat shit to actual contending in the NBA. To goat shit. I have this, I have this memory of, I was covering the first Cavs Warriors finals Mm -hmm. in 2015. I was in Oakland and just to sort of get myself in the headspace. Do you remember when they, you know, the, when they were retiring Chris Mullins number, this was like right after Joe Lacob mm. and Peter Goober bought mm-hmm. the team. And like they, they, the, the new owners got booed by the uh, fans when they were retiring Chris Mullins number. I'm sure you remember like that clip where like Rick Barry then like yells at the crap. But like around that same time, this was back when Bill Simmons, A, was still writing and B, when Grantland was still, still a thing. And Bill, I, I don't know if you guys remember this column, but Bill wrote this column that was like from 1970 they win the title in 75 and since then up through 2012 or 13 or whatever year this column was written Mm -hmm. he just went through year by year every single like thing that they blew over that time and it was like every single thing about like you know they traded robert Parrish and kevin McHale to the celtics like at the beginning of their careers and then they go on to be part of the title team and they don't get anything back or like they lose chris weber after one year like so many different like ways that you know they they screw up different things and then that column was written like two years before that finals and now you look at what the warriors are now and it's like an organization could be a complete joke for a long I mean look at what the Clippers I mean the Clippers have not won a title but under Donald Sterling the Clippers were the biggest joke in the league nobody would ever choose to go to the Clippers and basically starting from like the you know Chris Paul going there and then them bringing in Doc and then when Steve Ballmer bought the team, now they're a legitimate organization that is one of the better run organizations in the league. Toronto is, you know, nobody wants to go live in Canada, but now Toronto is, you know, because, you know, of the way that Masai does things and, you know, the record of player development and they have a good coach. They have a coach that guys like play like so many of these teams and Portland is starting from a better position than a lot of those teams. I mean, yes, the Portland has as a city and as a market has never been LA or Miami or New York or, golden or you know the bay area or any of these other markets but the blazers as an organization have never been the clippers or phoenix they've always been reasonably well run they've always been reasonably competitive you know they've been in the playoffs much more years than not since paul allen bought the team they're usually like they had you know they had the jail blazer years they obviously had this year they had like that couple of years between you know the brandon roy years and bringing damon but usually they're competitive usually they're in the playoffs they have fans that sell it out every year like it would be very easy for an ownership group that cares to turn the blazers with the built-in advantages of like the having dane there having this arena having this you know fan base having this city with this history Mm -hmm. and having nike close by into one of those destinations the way that like a phoenix or a toronto or one of those kinds of that came out of the press conference today i I couldn't hear who was asking the questions because i I don't think they gave mics to to you guys were in the room um but i know multiple questions were asked today to both the players and to chauncey about recruiting players like what do you how is this going to work now 
And like that was that was a, a concerted effort of like, how are you going to pitch this? And Joe said, I'm going to be in a room with Chauncey and Dame. And then you get Chauncey who says, I'm going to be in a room with Chauncey or with Joe and Dame, and my guys are going to speak on it because when I was a player, you know what I did? I called guys. How is this guy as a coach? How is this guy as a GM? What's it like living there? What's it like being in this organization? Josh That's Hart. why the Knicks haven't been able to get anybody, even though they play in the biggest city and have this legendary arena and mm-hmm. have the history and the tradition and all of that. Because, I mean, remember when the when the when they traded Porzingis to Dallas mm-hmm. and DeAndre Jordan was in the trade, and the thought was that since he's buddies with KD and Kyrie, that he would be, you know, he was kind of there planting the seeds to you know, get them there in free agency that summer. Well, they were coming the to opposite York. happened because he goes to them is like, look, guys, this is a joke. Like yeah. you guys can't come here. And then, and then the three of them ended up going to Brooklyn play. I mean, this is something that I've known for, you know, when I used to cover the bulls, one of the reasons that they were never able to get anybody, despite, you know, Chicago being a huge Chicago. city with a lot of stuff to do. Players talk and players know which organizations treat people well and which ones don't you look, I mean, Oklahoma City, no player is ever going to choose to go to Oklahoma City as a free agent. But you look at any player who had, like, hey, Paul, like I said earlier, Paul George chose to stay. And then even in kind of a weird situation, like what happened with Al Horford last year, where they trade for him and then they just like shut him down for most of the season. But they took care of him. You only ever, you know, or, you know, you look at what, you know, what happened to Chris Paul. He goes there for a year. He, this wasn't where he wanted to go, but he, stayed there for a year they were competitive they made the playoffs and then they and promised to train into a good team season yeah like if, you, if yeah. you're a market like oklahoma city that's not you know doesn't have the miami la like free agent appeal you have to also you have to do the other stuff right you, you talk generate to any player who's ever been in the thunder organization they're only ever going to be talking about how well they were treated and how yep. That organization is good. They have a good coaching staff. They have good player development. Sam Presti is honest with people about where they stand and what they're going to do. Like, you never hear, like, bad stories about, like, oh, this guy screwed me. Like, the way that you maybe did about the previous GM in Portland with some (laughs) guys. Like, you never hear that about, like, an Oklahoma City. And so when somebody gets – like, you don't hear about Shea Gildas-Alexander wanting to go to a bigger market because he's treated well in Oklahoma City. He's treated like a freaking king, and he should be. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get, wrap things up here real quick. Uh, first of all, thank you all for being here. We've got a ton of people uh, in here the whole show. Uh, we'll have a, probably one of these once a week as we get closer to the draft lottery tomorrow. We have Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated at 3.30. Uh, and then we'll have the live watch party Wednesday for the Spurs Pelicans, which leads me to where I want to go to next. Spurs Pelicans, Wednesday. Who's going to win this game, boys? Are the Pelicans going to survive and, and Jeez, push I, this? I don't, I don't think I could have... Uh, less of an interest in watching the San Antonio Spurs play <laughs> basketball, but since you asked the question, but you're gonna watch it on Wednesday. I'm I'm gonna watch it. I think the Pelicans are gonna win this. I know. I think they went one and three against the Spurs this year, but I, that's prior to the CJ trade. Mm-hmm. I, I just I think the Spurs are meh. I, I'll just I'll take the better offense. I'll take the Pelicans winning that one. I think New Orleans wins this game and loses to whichever of the Clippers Bruce or Minnesota. I think both of those teams are better than New Orleans, but mm. I. I think they beat the Spurs and then they lose the second playing game and Portland gets the pick. Uh, I think that's kind of where I am. I'm just uh, silently hoping for the Spurs just so we just have a little bit more. I love Did it. you see what Josh Hart, what, one of my favorite things from the Josh Hart. Oh, the, what his quote today was today brilliant. He was talking about how like, 
he knows that because of the them needing the pick, he's supposed to root against the Pelicans, but those are his guys, so he doesn't want to. And so he's actually rooting <laughs> for them to uh you know be close and be in games but end up losing so that his team gets the, <laughs> the exact quote is i'll tell you it's fucking pissing me off yeah, New Orleans yeah, in yeah, the play yeah. in yep. i haven't been to the playoffs <laughs> playing none of that shit so yeah it kind of pisses me off <laughs> oh my god so listen he's, he's great hard hard was one great of the, one of the only like conference. there's there's only been two truly like memorable games of this regular season one of them was the laker game right after the deadline Mm-hmm. And the other one was the Josh Hart getting the Barack Obama. The 44, yeah. The 44, yeah. which yeah. after which he was immediately shut down for the rest of the season because they're like, no, 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 you Josh, can't. Like, you're too good. You scored you're too way good. too many you're points too there, Josh. And you're by the way, good. on the Barack Obama point, I-, I tweeted out that quote when he said it after the game, and my buddy Sopan Deb, who covers the NBA mm-hmm. for the New York Times, replied to me and said that his career average is the John Tyler, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. What is it? Is Tyler's ten? Ten? I was just saying, it's eleven. Okay. All right. Was, yeah, some was, somewhere in there. I don't. I don't have the order of the presidents. Yeah. I. I listen. I did when I was a kid, but not anymore. Uh, again, thank you all. We appreciate you. Like, rate, review, subscribe. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, help us grow the show. We hit three thousand before we got done with the season, which is always our goal. Uh, things unfortunately went a lot more sideways than we thought, but we have a ton coming up for the offseason. Like I said, we've got Jeremy Wu tomorrow at three thirty. That's my we, guy. I like Jeremy. We, we listen. We, we are pro Jeremy Wu here. We were going to hit on all things NBA draft, and we will have more draft coverage. We have Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation, who I'm trying also to my guy. time with. I, I, listen, man, I, I know who to go to. Uh, for Mr. Chicago, who I'm sure will be at the combine as well. Oh yeah, uh, because he is a uh, NBA draft guy and he's a Chicago guy. So, uh, and then again, of course, we have the NBA draft combine coming up, uh, which we will have a little bit more information. And I would imagine that Joe Cronin will also be there as well, um, because uh, you know they don't have the playoffs and to deal with other stuff. Maybe so again, even as the lottery round. That was the thing. They the Did question they the question was asked and there was no answer. And I was like, yeah, because we we talked about this the other day. And we were like, with with hold all, and we're like, Dame would be the guy, I think. But uh, I think Dame might be out of the country uh, at that point in time. Yeah, I don't know what the what the move is there, because like, I think the real feel good. I don't think it would happen because I think he's probably too old to get on a plane. But when you saw the re- reception that Bill got last night, yeah, that would be the that would be the move. I don't think that's pro would. basketball karma well, right there. The basketball gods couldn't what, shun that. What about Walton? Would it surprise you if they went Walton? Uh, would he do it? Would he do it? That's the that's is, the is the relationship repaired enough for him to do it? Is he getting he attention? That's the is part he getting attention? I, he might do it. Uh, this I is, think this is Cha- true. I, I think Chauncey is a bad idea because I still think that there's a portion of the fan base that is turned off by yeah. the way. I mean, any anything that brings up the the previous general manager's like influence, I think is a bad idea. I think Ant might end up being the guy. That would not be the worst idea in the world. Um, because people brought up uh, people have brought up Brandon Roy as an idea, but I don't that re- that relationship has uh, got to be a lot more repaired before that happens. Well, no, it's not even the relationship. I think it's more some of the things that you're oh, required yeah. to do in order to yeah. get into a lot of these NBA rooms that he maybe has not done, if you will. Yes, that that's another part of it. Uh, Bleak says send Sheed, also another person who would have trouble getting into those. Pick don't lie. Pick don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> But again, Sean, anything you got uh, coming up for Bleach Report? Uh, not really. Anything in it's particular. The, it's the offseason. <laughs> Just playoff. Well, playoff coverage. I'm going to be kind of jumping onto other, you know, covering kind of more general, relevant teams. 
NBA stuff. So <laughs> play in, you know, I'm like I said, I'm going to Chicago in a month for the combine and the lottery. And if the, I'm assuming the bucks are probably still going to be in the playoffs by then. So maybe I'll, while I'm out there, I'll get out to Milwaukee for one of those games if they're in the conference finals or something, but just, you know, I'm around, I'm on Twitter. You know where to find me. Perfect. And here's a, here's, I'm going to do another plug for somebody else here. Since you said Milwaukee for anybody interested, Mirren Fader's book uh, is now available on paperback. If you haven't, already I got to get the book. paperback. Yeah. Uh, so in case anybody hasn't already got it, it is the best uh, Giannis book that you will ever read. Nobody will write get that. Get the audio book too. Oh, does, oh, is there an audio book? She did, does she, does she do only, the audio? There's an audio book that she actually, like she hired like a Greek, you know, teacher to like make sure she got the for like Mirren's a friend, so like I like she's like told me about like all this stuff, but like huh. she hired a like a Greek teacher or a Greek linguist you know, tutor or something to make sure she got all the pronunciations and stuff right. When oh, she that's the that's good. So she like really went all out for the audiobook. So that's what I would tell people. That's awesome. Well, we'll get out of here on that. Again, thank you, Sean, for joining us. Uh, again, folks, like, rate, review, subscribe. Help us grow the show. If you're watching here on YouTube Live, please subscribe. If you haven't already, if you're watching on the replay, please subscribe. Remember, you can get us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon at 3.30 with Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated to talk on all things NBA draft. And then on Wednesday, we will have the watch party for all the members for the Pelicans-Spurs game. Other than that, Sean, thank you for your